Kenny and Rennie Show is brought to you by Johnston Group, Vittorio Rossi, Trans Canada Brewing, Lou Ferlin, Cambrian Credit Union, and Homefield. Hello, everybody. I'm Sean Reynolds from Sports and about to be joined by Ken Weave from Sports. Together we are Kenny and Rennie, and this is the Kenny and Rennie post draft show uh post rounds two through seven i uh, will dig in to uh, let's just dig into the whole draft that the winnipeg jets tied into here five picks sorry yeah five picks on the day for the winnipeg jets uh interesting the way it lands a very north american draft for the jets who in the past have had a lot of european flavor to it um we know that the Jets in the past have loved going down to the United States for a lot of their draft picks. They do that only once. Other than that, this was a very CHL-centric draft for the Winnipeg Jets, which is, I think, interesting. You know, the, the, the one thing I will tell you is if you are ever covering, it's not just the Winnipeg Jets, it's everybody else. You talk to those scouts and head uh, scouts, and the question is asked year after year, time and time again, over and over and over do you draft for position or you take best player available there's one answer to that question it's best player available that's what happens time and time again now they'll say now if you're kind of a virtual tie then maybe you will choose for organizational need but this is what you hear time and time again. It's what the Winnipeg Jets will tell you. It's what head scout Mark Hillier will tell you. It's what Kevin Dayoff will tell you happened in this situation. I do, however, find it fascinating and a little bit interesting that the CHL kind of quotient uh, is been going up over the years for the Winnipeg Jets because I do know that there was a number of years where I had questions. I know people on the podcast have had questions in the past uh, in regards to um, – uh, in regards to the Jets, you know, seemingly going very American in a lot of their drafts. So this is, a, and I know that people have said in the past, they think that they should go more Canadian. Well, we are definitely seeing that. Maybe you're seeing it because two teams in the finals this year were absolutely stocked with Canadians. Uh, the team that won the Stanley Cup final had the highest quotient of Canadians on their team. Uh, we can get into all that kind of stuff. I kind of know what Ken's going to say on this, uh, but I want to talk to him about it anyway. And hey, if I do want to talk to Ken, probably the best thing to do is to bring him into the show uh, to have those conversations. So let's do exactly that. Let's grab our main man, Ken Weeb, the man with the best music in the business, and drag him into the show here, kicking and screaming. Here we go, everybody. Kenny, my friend, you're staying safe there in Manitoba while we're braving, braving <laughs> rain storms. And it's interesting. There's this little segment of the arena down here at Bridgestone Arena that's kind of like, it's got like a metal roof. It's like a shed, a big, giant, tall shed that's attached uh, to the arena. And that's where they stuck the media. And so when the, 
the thunder was going and the rain was coming down. It sounded how you would imagine it would sound if you were like out in the backyard tool shed or something like that. Uh, luckily, uh, it all came to an end right when I was coming home. The gods were smiling on the Kenny and Rennie show, making sure I got back to the hotel <laughs> to be able to do this. Um, one thing I will say, Ken, uh, and this is one of the reasons I love our partnership, is uh, because we have different jobs, you know, we have different strengths and different weaknesses. One of the strengths that you have in this situation is that I've been behind the scenes running around doing all this kind of stuff, really not paying a lot of attention to the draft. Um, you've been all over it. Uh, give me an idea from a Winnipeg Jets perspective right off the bat, how, what you take away from this draft for them. Yeah, certainly an interesting day, and uh, we touched on the you know day one element uh, on our show yesterday on Wednesday, where Colby Barlow was the uh, you know on the on the top part of the menu, and rightfully so after the Jets got him uh, at 18th overall. But today, a uh, bunch of bunch of forwards drafted, some with you know some with a high ceiling, some late bloomers, some with a longer development path, and then they went out and got a goaltender in uh, Thomas Milich who. Uh, had been passed over in the draft previously, but just coming off an absolutely uh, fabulous season with the Seattle Thunderbirds. And it's super interesting because, you know, Milich is a guy that the Jets brass would have been able to see plenty as it is, but the fact that they were able to see him during the Western Hockey League Championship Final in their home arena certainly uh, would have given them a couple extra viewings uh, in that series, they're obviously with the Winnipeg Ice uh, hosting and, and moving downtown into Canada Life Center. But uh, this is a guy, with, it's not often that day two is about fifth round draft pick, Sean, right? I mean, part of that is the reason is that the Jets did not have a second rounder. And their third rounder, uh, Zach Naring, is heading to the USHL for a year before he goes to Western Michigan University. So uh, also interesting uh, nugget with him uh, he played with the Winnipeg Junior Jets at the Brick yeah. Tournament for ten and under players. Good pull, Ken. Uh, back Good in pull twenty, on that one. yeah, well, that wasn't my pull. I think it was mentioned uh, mentioned on a tweet somewhere uh, from the Jets official account. But uh, he's a guy. Interestingly enough, Mark uh, Hillier mentioned it to reporters down in Nashville. Naring's mum is from Manitoba, as are his grandparents. So I think that was the connection. Uh, his dad is from Minot, North Dakota, uh, but. His his parents are from you know I think the the province here so that's that you know why would a guy born in Minot be playing on a Winnipeg Junior Jets team in in some you know at, the, at this famous tournament but uh, it was because there's a great familial connection and uh, we spent a lot of time the last couple of days uh, you know and even Mark mentioned it himself from their meetings at the combine this is a kid who identified Winnipeg as a place he wanted to be now it's easy to say that in an interview but this guy legit has interest like genuine enthusiasm about the prospect of playing uh, not only in Canada but uh, for the Winnipeg Jets and and we've talked about that the last while I mean it's an important thing uh, for the organization and hey this is a guy it's going to be down the road for him let's 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 not kid ourselves oh, but yeah. also in in listening to the interviews with Zach himself uh, he's a bit of a bull in the china shop, right? I mean, this is a guy who plays, even though he played at, uh, you know, Shattuck St. Mary's at their U18 prep program. Uh, this is a guy that loves the physical side of the game uh, and really just needs to have his body fill out. Uh, and, you know, again, he has power forward tendencies was the phrase that Mark Hillier used to reporters in Nashville today uh, when describing his game. So, I mean, that that's an important quality for a team that, 
uh, as we've been talking about, is looking to change a little bit in terms of its direction and in terms of how they play. Uh, maybe it went a little bit too skill heavy the last couple of years. Now, that's not to say he doesn't have skill. I mean, he had high point totals there as well at Shattuck this year and uh, will now join the Sioux Falls Stampede of the USHL. Uh, uh, also in the fifth round, they were able to get a late bloomer in <coughs> Jacob Julian. Before you jump into that, I just wanted to, to talk about Zach Nearing for a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what you're talking about, and the, the, when, when you see him, he he's a skinny kid, right? Like he's, yep. but he's big. So so the one thing that you would take a look at here is, I'm always so fascinated by how scouts work their development past and where they see a player, and ha- you know, because everyone gets taken at 18, but some guys they're ready to go at 18. Some guys aren't even close. You take a look at him. You can imagine if you saw this kid, you take a look at him, and you say, okay, he's a pretty skinny kid. But if you saw, if you took him and compared him to the high school hockey level yeah. you would entirely see exactly what you're talking about there ken and that he could like run that show right but probably at the ushl level where there's a little bit older guys right a little bit more advanced guys he wouldn't have been there yet but so it's interesting because what i what what you just described there and what i think is really interesting about this is a bet that the jets are taking a lot of times people will take a look and say wait a minute they took this guy and now he's just just graduating into the USHL. And then after that, he's going to graduate into university hockey. Yeah. You know, so many people get to see a guy and they're like, when's he going to be with the jets? Right. Well, we can't even start talking about what this guy is going to look like at the collegiate level for a couple of years. Right. But this is an interesting bet because he's big. If his body fills out and kind of follows the same path that he's going to go from smaller league into high school into a little bit bigger at USHL into a little bit bigger at the college level. And then, you know, potentially if things are working out a bit bigger into the AHL and then maybe one day into the NHL, you can kind of see that the Jets are taking a bet that his body is going to grow from where it is now. Huge frame body's got to grow and if it can get there and he can take that offense that you're talking about you may just find a guy who ends up being like you said a bull in a china shop not just at the high school level but if you treat it right maybe you can find that guy who usually aren't easy to find at even at the ohl level the ncaa ncaa level and find it in in high school hockey it's an interesting bet they're taking here and it's a bet because a lot has to happen. A lot has to line up for, you know, he's got to hit at all those different levels to get to where he's going. But I, I'm just saying from being there, watching the kids, seeing him in person, you can see the bet that the Jets are trying to make there. And I think it's a really interesting one. Sorry about that. Move on. Oh, to no, Jake it's Julian good. It's good. We More insight from, you know, I would have loved to have been there talking to him myself. Uh, Jacob Julian, an interesting story here, Sean, uh, Play, finished the year for the London Knights, but he started the year playing, you know, tier two uh, hockey in London. Uh, and as the year go went on, uh, our colleague Jason Buchla, who joined us uh, yesterday for the show, said he really started taking on more and more responsibility, and that was something that was echoed uh, by uh, by Mark Hillier in his uh, availability as well today. So a guy who hasn't really popped offensively at the tier one level yet, but he's going to have an opportunity to play more minutes and he's going to an incredible program or he's in an incredible program. And Sean, I don't know what you think, but I know we, we know that Oliver Bonk was a guy who was on the jets radar. Yeah. And to me, this just screams, 
you're there watching Bonk, and all of a sudden, if you're a scout, you're starting to look at your sheet and going, who's this Jacob Julian kid that I keep noticing uh, making smart plays here and there? So uh, he's a guy, you know, six foot four, I believe. So another big frame. Uh, we'll see if the offense comes, but a guy who, you know, probably going to be a role player that maybe has some offensive capabilities. Uh, and then in the seventh round, Connor Levi, I believe, or Levy, we're not 100% sure on the yeah. pronunciation. What did neither, you do? Neither is Mark Hilliard. Neither was Mark. <laughs> so uh, we'll have to get on that uh, when he gets into town here. But a uh, great year for the uh, Cam- or for the Kamloops Blazers product. 27 goals, 40 assists, basically a point-of-game player. And, uh, you know, Sammy Cosentino on the NHL Network broadcast today said like he had a couple stretches where he really popped offensively, uh, really, you know, occasionally a streaky scorer. Uh, Mark saying that, you know, his skating is going to have to come. But that, again, this is a young player. It's a guy who's going to continue to get better. He had an outstanding season, got an opportunity to play in a really good Western Hockey League team, played in the Memorial Cup. Uh, those experiences will really, uh, you know, serve him well moving forward uh, as he goes back to the Western Hockey League next year. Uh, and again, we uh, we mentioned Milich and, you know, Milich is such an interesting case here, Sean. I mean, the um, guy did nothing but win. And I mean, Hillier addressed it. I mean, the only reason this guy's not picked in a previous draft or picked earlier than the fifth round is He's just over six feet, but guess what? At every single level he's played, all he does is stop the puck. So now it's on him to continue that progression on his development path. But uh, anyone who watched the World Junior last year uh, would definitely see the value in a pick of Tomic Milic, who will turn pro immediately and you know likely be playing with the Manitoba Moose next year uh, with one of the European netminers, whether it's Oscar Salmanen or Arvid Holm, or see how things shake out. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I love the Milic pick. Uh, Sammy loved it as well during the broadcast. Just absolutely raving. You know, he's got an opportunity to see to to you know know the kid a little bit and. Same thing. Jets would have been watching uh, Brad Lambert a lot this year. And, and Milich is just one of those guys where you're like, oh, man, you know, you're not sure. You're kind of maybe wavering. And all of a sudden you're like, you know what? This guy is worth a fifth round gamble. It's a lottery ticket at that point, Sean, late in the draft. And, you know, does it mean does it mean the Jets were looking in their past and saying, hey, by the way, uh, there's a certain goaltender that they got in the in the fifth round uh, who happens to have blossomed? You know, again, no one's saying that Thomas Milich is going to become Connor Hellebuck, uh, but hey, this is a guy who is worth the gamble, and you know everything you hear about him, just such a high character person and, and a guy who really, really does an excellent job, and you know they got Dom Divicentis in the seventh round or you know sixth or seventh round a year ago. And, you know, he blew us away at the draft with his personality and he went out, what did he do? He went out and won the OHL goalie of the year award, Sean. So, uh, you know, late round picks, the Jets have had some success and, you know, maybe they're going to find success again with Thomas Millage. But so of the five players they drafted, four forwards, one goaltender, uh, some folks may be wondering, I mean, you touched on it right out of the gate, best player available, Uh, maybe a little bit of a surprise. The Jets didn't add a defenseman to their prospect pool, but that's also a reminder that uh, of how high they are on Elias Solomonson, the year that he had playing overseas in Sweden. Um, I think he absolutely popped and had a great, uh, great season. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how things go forward, but you know, I think it's important for the Jets to replenish that prospect pool. And obviously, they brought a lot of size in, and they got a, got a bunch of guys who have found no issue finding the back of the net, and you know, some of them play a, you know a little bit of a robust game, if you will. So. I think they did really well and just tying a bow on, on things for the draft itself. Um, 
three Manitobans chosen in the draft, including Brandon Weeking's goalie, Carson Bjarnson, uh, going to the Philadelphia Flyers, along with Carter Southern from Sanford, uh, Bjarnson from Carberry, Manitoba, and then the... Uh, Sorry, and then obviously Jaden Perron going to the uh, Carolina Hurricanes after spending the season with the Chicago Steel in the USHL. So uh, those were the three Manitobans that I identified there. And also as a uh, you know MJHL graduate and alum, uh, Warren Clark, a defenseman from the Steinback Pistons. He's from Ontario originally, and I think he's going to St. Cloud State. Uh, he was drafted by the Tampa Bay Lightning in the sixth round. So you know congratulations uh, to to those guys. Um, for having their names called, but uh, overall, good day for Manitoba, and uh, it certainly sounds like a you know a really good day for the Winnipeg Jets. Though, as we always caution at this time of the year, Sean, uh, everybody feels good about their picks <laughs> as they walk yeah. out of the building, but yes. uh, you know, definitely on what the Jets had and only having five picks in total and not having one um, in the second round, which had a lot of interesting talent near the top of it, uh, you know, including a guy like Gavin Brindley. Uh, love that pickup uh, by the Columbus Blue Jackets to bring him in along with his line mate Adam Fantilli. But um, I think the Jets did very well with what they had. Yeah, um, there's a bunch of different ways I want to yep. go with that. But first, before we do that, uh, I wanted to give a, a shout out to our summertime friends uh, over at the Keg who have jumped on board for this little string of shows. We've got more coming up. We're going to talk. Uh, I think we're going to try and be available for if any of the big trades happen or maybe even the the Wheeler buyout, which I think most of us are expecting after Kevin Shevel Day off spoke. Uh, and the Keg's along for the ride with that. We're so happy. A uh, place that we respect like heck. Why? Well, because... We've been eating there for decades, and it's absolutely the best every time. I mean, whenever we get to go there, I remember my aunt used to give us kegs and gift certificates. Yes, sir. And it was just like, my goodness, it was. She, hey, you get you get favorite aunt status if you pull off stuff like that, right? <laughs> so I remember me and my wife going there. It was absolutely great. Uh, I was still going there all the time. And like I said, I told the story about how my nephew every time I lose a bet to him. I'm taking them to the keg to eat. So uh, as you great should to have them on board. And then also of hey, course, always a, always a baseball sirloin guy, but I've graduated to the filet now that we're, uh, you know, that now that we're, you know, moving on to our you know, life and sports here. Everybody's but, tastes mature. I bet you don't eat uh, your, your uh, mac and cheese with ketchup anymore. too. Ken. <laughs> uh, <laughs> wanted to give a shout out to the folks over at pristine roofing and siding. Uh, like I've said, this is uh, North End Rick helped us uh, hook up. Uh, with them because North End Rick works for them. I wouldn't hold that against Pristine Roofing because I've seen their work. They're great. Uh, they could have used them down here. Maybe I'll start handing out their card down here in Nashville after that rain came down because uh, the leaks would definitely be showing just like they used to during the old Rennie roofing days. So uh, if you need someone to fix up a bad job, uh, Pristine Roofing could do it. But you know what? Go, go to them for all your roofing needs, all your siding needs, all your exterior needs. And when you do that, make sure you tell them that Kenny and Randy sent you. I just want to t- tell a couple. This is the second draft in a row that I had a neat personal moment, Ken, mm-hmm. just because uh, in the last draft that we were at last year, um, Manitoban, you're speaking of Manitobans who got taken. There were three Manitobans taken in the first round last year if i'm not mistaken correct ken and one of those would have been denton matechuk yeah. uh, denton matechuk was coached by my good buddy dwight uh, dwight yep. hurst who coaches the triple a eastman hockey team and also dwight's son just got taken um by the uh by the moose jaw warriors in the whl draft this last year anyways it was neat to be able to go to denton last year and interview him as sean reynolds from sportsnet and then just tell him afterwards you know hey you're uh, I'm, 
I'm really good buddies with your former coach who had a big impact on his life. Dwight stood up for me in my wedding. I stood up for him in, in his. So it was neat to kind of see that, you know, the pride that I knew Dwight was feeling uh, in Denton being selected and be able to share that with Denton. And then in this year's draft, um, uh, really interesting situation because uh, Nico Mayatovich. Uh, so I've got family that live in oh. Prince George, B.C., um, and my uh, my uncle and my aunt and my cousin Stephen and Jayanna are out there. Uh, my cousin Jayanna has married a, a great guy by the name of Mick Merritt. Mick Merritt's son, Jaden, great hockey player, almost ended up playing for the Nighthawks last year. But he's played a lot of years and turns out he's really good friends with Nico Mayatovic. So I'd never met Nico before, but I went over and made sure I told him that, uh, you know, basically my, my nephew, uh, who he played with, uh, wanted me to you know kind of come up and give the personal touch of hey uncle sean here says congratulations the first player taken in the second round here uh so it was interesting uh mick my my uh my uh kind of well my cousin's husband um had said you know what there's an outside chance he could go in the first round didn't quite happen but boy oh boy he came close the 33rd pick overall so it's neat to have these moments you know being a reporter to go and talk to these people but now kind of being of that age where a lot of the kids of friends are starting to pop up in this situation is neat to be able to go shake the hand of these young men like that because it you know when you see that connection you can see how special it is for them it just you know, moments like this, I was walking home when the rain stopped and I was coming to do the show here at the hotel and I saw a family of a, I don't know which one it was, but it was yeah. a Detroit Red Wings pick, Ken. Um, and they stopped in the middle of the street and a bunch of the people who were in their group had dressed up for Nashville, right? Like cowboy <laughs> boots and hats and stuff like that. And they just stopped right in the middle of the street and were having this like celebration. And you could just see that when these kids get drafted, there's excitement on the floor, right? And then, you know, it happens. They go down, they get the jersey, they do all that kind of stuff. But there's this second wave that happens when the families leave the building and they feel like no one's watching anymore and the cameras aren't there and they have this, like, unfettered reaction to it. And it's just such a such a really neat thing to see. I, I love this environment. I love this event. I love covering it. Uh, I know you do, too. It's a ton of fun. Oh, um, man, yeah. I mean, it's just, I mean, remember last year when we left the building, like, it's always cool to see the families when they leave and you know they're yeah. they're just about to start celebrating and we know that it's just nuts that spin cycle that happens between when they have their name called they go down the catwalk they put on the jersey they shake all the hands and then spin cycle of through the through the through the gauntlet of interviews and then, you know, doing, doing your pictures and hockey cards and everything else. And you finally get to spend some time uh, at the end of it with your family and friends and, you know, your phone's blowing up and, you know, these, you see these kids and their buddies are there and um, just really enjoying themselves outside. It just, uh, it's just absolutely awesome. And yeah, I mean, it was a similar moment too, like, you know, being able to, you know, shake Adam Ingram's hand, you know, with us knowing DI pretty right. well last yeah. year. And, you know, Denton, I uh, played baseball against his dad. I know his mom well. And uh, yeah, it's just cool to see people. And then, you know, Owen Pickering, a guy that I don't know, but you hear other people that know them and you hear people say, oh, I played against that guy as a young guy or, you know, same thing too. Carter Southern, I don't know, but he, you know, he's from Sanford. So I, I played with and against people from Sanford. So, I mean, there's obviously with you and I being rural 
rural kids, uh, there's always a you know connection there with some of those guys who play uh, all around the entire province here. So, yeah, fantastic day for a lot of people, and you know, good on them. But uh, as we always remind people, it's not where you get drafted, but it's the obviously the work you do going into your draft year is essential. But uh, the real fun just starts now as they you know continue their uh, their way on their journey to become professionals eventually. No doubt. Now, I want to get back to this question because it was asked and it was really studied by a lot of the analysts mm-hmm. that were here. We're going to get back into this. Remind me to get back into it, Ken. I just wanted to go back to Thomas Millich, uh, who you're talking about, because I wanted to have a conversation with you about the idea of him slipping through the cracks the way that he did into this draft, because a goalie that he kind of reminds me of, and I'm not going to say he reminds me in playing style or anything like that, but like kind of the results that he's got is Devin Levi. Oh, and now, I, 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 because Devin Levi, to, to your point, like Mark Hillier is saying the only reason that Millich has slipped through the cracks is because he's not that tall of a goaltender. Well, Devin Levi is a six foot goaltender, 185 pounds. He is right. not a big guy. And yet you are talking about the guy who kind of at every level has just like every time a challenge has been set in front of him, he succeeded. People doubted him, right? Like, He's a guy who started out and was in, you know, the CCHL with the Carlton Place Canadians mm-hmm. rather than, you know, ending up in, in the, in the uh, OHL. And then he ends up going to Northeastern University uh, and going and, you know, really apparently from, you know, I was uh, talking to Pete Blackburn who said he saw a lot of his games. Right. Like this guy just gets hung out to dry over and over and over again and just absolutely holds everybody in it. Um one goaltender of the year uh, at the at the collegiate level this year um just nailed every challenge that was set in front of him and and the one thing that i thought is millage is kind of the same thing they're similar in stature when it comes to height and i'm just wondering i wanted your take on the idea that devin levi is kind of being seen as even though he's a small goaltender having the potential to be a uc sorrows type goaltender and maybe even being on the way to being canada's next big goaltender for international play, how he kind of followed that path and Milic follows a similar path and yet somehow ends up, you know, kind of slipping through the cracks. Yeah, again, it's hard to say. I mean, people value different things and, you know, obviously one of the Giants, there's a six foot seven goalie that got picked pretty early on. Uh, in the day in the second round too, I believe. So, I mean, some people just value different things. And yeah, we understand it's tough traffic and everything else. And, you know, it's easier to fill the net when you're six foot five, but uh, not everyone at that height isn't a guarantee of success either. So this is a guy who's incredibly, you know, competitive, what we know about him. And the thing about Millich, like I said, he wins, wins, wins. I mean, he almost backstopped them to the Memorial Cup, losing to a very good Quebec Remparts team uh, in the championship final. But it wasn't because it was bad goaltending that prevented the Seattle Thunderbirds from winning. Their their star players uh, weren't able to, you know, get the job done in that last game against Quebec. I mean, so I mean, for me, Millich is 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 definitely worth, uh, definitely worth a, a, if you want to call a fifth round pick a flyer. But I mean, for me, just uh, looking forward to watching uh, the young man. I mean, it's been interesting to watch uh, goalies develop over the years. And that, I mean, that's one of the benefits, uh, Sean. I mean, we love covering the NHL, but uh, I really enjoyed covering the Manitoba Moose because you see guys in their development path. I mean, watching Corey Schneider come in 
uh, as a first round draft pick, you know, hotshot NCAA guy. And I think not just Corey, but I think there's some players who come to the American Hockey League thinking they're just going to dominate immediately, even whether you're 18 years old or 20 years old, or sorry, most guys are going to be 20 year older when they get there. But uh, say you're 20 years old and, and you show up and, and you think you're on a direct uh, skyrocket ship to the National Hockey League and all of a sudden it gets hard. I mean, I love yeah. watching Corey Schneider battle through some early struggles. Uh, and become an excellent goalie uh, in the National Hockey League level and, uh, you know, Vesna candidate uh, one or two of those years. And that's why, too, I, I think that Milic will have a great opportunity here. He'll get to play. Uh, he's not going to be in a situation where he has to start, you know, 50 or 60 games. If he plays 35 or 40 in his first year or whatever the end number ends up being, it's going to be great for his development. And the Jets aren't asking Thomas Milich to save the franchise. They, they have drafted him to see what he can build into. And, you know, you mentioning Devin Levi, I mean, that that's that's a good comparison. I mean, I don't know technically, uh, you know, how they compare or whatever else. But yeah. what we know is he's incredibly you know, I probably pretty technically sound. His numbers are outstanding and he's a winner. So uh, when you're looking at development paths and, you know, in the American League, it's important to have guys who have won because it's a hard league. I mean, you play a long time and the season can be a grind. When you've had someone who's won before, uh, that can have an infectious attitude. Now, as a rookie, you know, you're not taking on a leadership role as a goalie, as a rookie when you're going to be 20 years old. But I think Milic is a guy who, you know, could really grow and, and see what happens. I mean, it doesn't have to happen in a year or two. I mean, give him a give him two or three years in the minors, see how his progression is. And uh, if at the end of that, you know, or second or third year, he's ready to compete for an NHL job, then that's going to tell you that, you know, some scouts missed on that, right? I mean, that, yeah. that happens. Like, sometimes you miss. And, you know, I think the other thing that's really important with Milic is that, that development year, I believe it would have been, yeah, it would have been his 18, draft year was the year of the, of the pandemic, right? They only had 24 games that year, right? Yeah. In, the, in the Western Hockey League. So, I mean, some guys are going to look and say, oh, well, he hasn't played enough and the sample size isn't big enough. Well, he has only been able to play in the sample size that is available to him. And everything that he's done was important. So, I mean, he's done a good job of being a winner. And like I said, I think this is a guy who can never have enough winners in an organization, Sean. And, and I think that's something that's important, whether no matter what level it's at, and you even heard it from Zach Nering saying he was he barely lost any games. And yes, we understand Shattuck is a credible program, but having guys who play in a winning program, I think it's important when you're trying to build a winning program. I mean, this is, this is a plus B in this case, a plus B can equal C, I think. Yeah. So when I make that comparison between Devin Levi and Thomas Millage, I, I think the one thing that stands out for me is exactly what I just said about what our good friend Pete Blackburn had mm-hmm. said was that Devin Levi was on a team that wasn't very good and he made them look good, right? Where have we heard that before? I mean, it's the Connor Hellebuck Winnipeg Jets story, right? It's kind of one of the things that allowed Connor Hellebuck to become notor- notorious the way that he is in the way that, remember that, that first uh, that first Vesna trophy that he wins is one where it's based on the idea that no, he wasn't one of the uh, a goaltender on one of the best teams in the league, which traditionally was kind of what that trophy was reserved for. Um, he was the guy who 
you know, basically took a team that shouldn't have been in the playoffs and got them to the playoffs. And that's how he won that award. A lot of people kind of forget because it's changed since then. And analytics has kind of changed the way people, I think, I think analytics has changed the way that people look at the Vesna trophy more than any other trophy in sports, right? Because now you're finding value in saying this goaltender, it just happens to be on a good team. This goaltender keeps bad teams alive, all that kind of stuff. I would say the difference there, you know, especially what our friend Pete Blackburn is saying is Devin Levi is a guy who's been in a situation where he's been keeping teams alive for a long time. So it's easy to go night after night after night and say, look how amazing this guy is. Where would this team be without him? One of the tough things for Thomas Millage is he's on a really, really great team, right? Mm -hmm. So the one problem is you can never explain away your size. And the size thing has kind of gone away all around the ice, which thank God it did because the dead puck era, you had six foot six guys with absolutely no talent being taken and coming in. If they did make it, they just slowed down the league and clutched and grabbed their way through, you know, like really boring careers or they, or they didn't make it anywhere. Um, but, you know, goaltenders still being big and boring when you're not big, you can't be big and boring. You got to find another way to be great. I like it that goaltenders like UC Saros are showing that there's still room for that in the league. I know there's a lot of people who thought UC Saros got robbed and should have been, you know, ahead of a lot of guys for, for the Vesna trophy this year. But it's a long way of me saying Thomas Milch is a guy who he's never going to be able to explain away his size as a goaltender. He's not six foot five. So for the people who are looking to not take that player or for an excuse to not take that player, the easy excuse is, yeah, he's doing good, but look at the team in front of him. And you know what? He's still just over six feet. He's not that big. I think that's the situation. I think that goes a long way to explaining how he did slip through the cracks and got to the point where he, I think he was passed over twice before he gets picked. Now, I yep. think that does a good job explaining it. Um, the one thing I would say about this is when you're taking goal, uh, when you're taking fifth, sixth, sometimes even fourth round picks, a lot of times you're just taking a risk or a gamble, right? Which is, and basically, I think anytime you're taking a goalie, it's almost always a gamble, right? Connor Hellebuck goes from that draft class of goaltenders and ends up being the class of that draft. Nobody expected that on that day, right? So goalies can surprise you. So the one thing I always think about late round picks is when you do take goaltenders, I think, you know, if you if you feel like you're taking a risk or just you know bet taking taking a bet, why not take a bet on a goaltender? Because you never know which goaltenders are going to hit. And I love the idea of going and taking a guy like you said, who's a proven winner, who's won at every level. And yeah, people are saying he's too small, and maybe he came from a really good team. But let's just take a look and see if he can continue doing this. He's going to go pro next year. Let's see if he can continue this. And if he does continue this, uh, then maybe we've got something here. Maybe this is a guy we're looking at being our goaltender of the future. But they also have, as you mentioned, Dom DiVincentis in here as well. Well, now they've stocked the cupboards. Now they've got, you know, the OHL goaltender of the year. Now they've got Thomas Milch, who's a winner at every level. And if they both turn into something, then all of a sudden now you have a trade chip. So if years from now we look back and everything goes as planned, for the Winnipeg Jets. And Dom Divincheva, Divincheva starts to look like 
you know, that next big goaltender for the Winnipeg Jets. This is another guy, Ken, I don't want to like, you know, put too much pressure on the kid, but another guy that I've looked at and thought, I wonder if this could be the next great Canadian hope in net, the way that he turned around this season, reacted to getting drafted and kind of shot straight up. If he comes out and does that and Mills just keeps doing what he's doing, you know, then all of a sudden you're the Winnipeg Jets and you're like, well, we've got two of these guys. Anyone out there looking for a guy they want to take a waiver on? We took one on Milich and he, so he, he did well at every level before we drafted him and he continued that afterwards. I think if you're going to take a bet and try and find value in a draft, going for a player like this late in the, this is a very educated, very smart bet by the Jets, Mark Hillier, his staff, and Kevin Sheveldayoff in trying to find something that's going to hit down the road. Yeah, no doubt about that. And uh, before we get rolling, you gotta you gotta give a promotion for your suit right there. And I'll be happy to be wearing one standing beside you on Saturday. But uh, well no taken doubt. care of by Frankie and the boys at Viterio Rossi right there. It's one of the well, uh, of another, one of the good ones. Let's throw it out. Uh, this is another one I didn't quite. Hey, I did this. This suit today didn't stop a generational talent first <laughs> overall pick in his tracks the way my suit did yesterday. Well, he wasn't there. And, that's that's the only reason it didn't happen, Ken, because I'm guessing it would have happened all over again because that's what happens when you go to Frankie and the boys down at Vittorio Rossi. They put you in the kind of clothes that stops traffic. Uh, so, if hey, if you want to do the same, head on down to go see the boys at Vittorio Rossi. Tell them Kenny and Rennie sent you. Ask for Frankie or one of the boys. They'll know who you're talking about. Go see them on Cordon Avenue. Uh, we should talk about the Johnston group as well. Uh, Ken, the Kenny and Rennie OGs who have always been there since the very beginning and continue to be there at every turn for us. Absolutely love those guys. Like I've said this before, you're talking about there's no needing to scout these guys. They have been pros for the longest of times. This is a, you know, a company that name rings out across Canada. We're so happy that they take uh, care of us the way that they do. Uh, you should give a shout out to uh, our main man, Lou Furlan, while we're at this here. Ken, what do you got to say? Yeah, right on. If you have realty needs that you need to be met, whether you're buying, selling, maybe just curious about what that house on the corner is selling for right now, you can contact Lou Furlan at Royal LePage Dynamic Realty. A buy sell 204-791-9971 or at the office 204-989-5000. His email is lou at loufurlan.ca. That's L-O-U at L-O-U-F-U-R-L-A-N.ca. And his website is www.loufurlan.ca. Lou Furlan, excellent realtor, excellent human being, and excellent supporter of the community, including our program. Wanted to give a shout out to Corey and the boys at Home Field, who, uh, of course, uh, that great uh, opening montage that we have for the show and our extra at the end of the show, they've taken care of that. Uh, promotion is their thing. Uh, you should give them a call uh, if, you, if you're interested in that kind of thing. And Ken, do you for have a lamplighter? Yeah, that's going to go to Linda Trudeau. Uh, you said she reached out to you uh, via email, and uh, Linda's did. comment was our best comment yesterday, uh, and that's that's why we've, she's going to receive a, a frosty eight pack of lamplighter for for that comment. She's going to receive it as long as she tunes in, as long as she listens. But uh, nectar of the gods, frosty and delicious lamplighter. Uh, brewed and brought to you by our friends from Transcanner Brewing Company. Head on down there, Linda, get a hold of me. You know what to do at SN Sean Reynolds. Send me a message and I will send you your voucher for your very own Frosty Delicious 8-pack of Lamplighter Amber Ale. I'm pretty sure Linda Trudeau actually was our first ever Lamplighter winner. 
Ken. Okay, well, then if she I remember was due. correctly, Maybe she's due to uh, win again. I'll, I'll have to ask her, but I think that that's the case. Uh, where do you want to go from here, Ken? Do you want to keep talking draft? Well, I, I, I don't I think, think we're we done talk- with the draft, yeah, or not. Uh, okay, we're done not with quite. the Jets draft. I don't okay. think we've talked enough about the rest of the draft. Um, I'm going to go with a surprise for me, uh, something that kind of stood out to me, um, or a couple things. You can kind of give me yours. We should talk about this because I was talking with Sammy. Um, Sammy says that he thinks, looking back on this, this is the kind of draft that you're going to take a look from the high-end talent that comes out of it. That you may be talking about this being similar or akin to the 2015 draft, the 2003 draft. For those who like really dig into this kind of stuff in hockey, they'll know those are like two of the greatest drafts of all time. Sam says there's potential for like the top end of this draft to be like that. He really liked what the Canadian teams did, so we should kind of dig into this. I'll tell you this. Um, the Leo Carlson to uh, to Anaheim pick instead of Adam Fantilli, I thought that was a mistake. Um, I think the Columbus Blue Jackets are a team that has really stocked a lot of talent. I think two or three years from now, that that team is going to be a problem for the rest of the league. They've really been building a defense. We talked about Denton Matejchuk earlier on. He's one of the guys that they picked in the draft last year. They've really stocked up their D. They've got a lot of forward prospects. This gives them that guy down the middle who's a dynamic. Like To me, this is probably the most dynamic center that that organization has, you know, I mean, outside of Rick Nash, uh, you're talking about a guy who just may end up being one of the best Columbus Blue Jackets of all time, if not the best. Um, I take a look at him and I think that like basically what he was able to accomplish at the college level puts him on the Jack Eichel level. Jack Eichel, I think we're just starting to realize what he is now, what he's capable of. I said this before. I think that he should have been the Conn Smythe Trophy winner. Um, Great player. He was lost for a lot of years in Buffalo. Imagine what we'd be saying about Jack Eichel if he'd not been lost for all those years. That that team was lost, so the player got lost for a while. I think that Columbus is further ahead and close to a turnaround. Uh, so he, Adam Fantilli doesn't need to be lost for years. I really do think that something special happened there. And when you add that to the fact that a guy like Johnny Gaudreau is there, never mind the fact that last year the Columbus Blue Jackets were so ridiculously hampered by injury. Yeah. And we really don't know what they look like at this place in time. This is a team that I think could jump next year and potentially challenge for a spot in the playoffs uh, with what they've got. This Adam Fantilli, if he comes in here, we're starting to talk about like rounding out this roster to maybe returning Patrick Laine to the kind of player that he was when he was with the Winnipeg Jets and the scoring sensation he was at that time. Johnny Goodrow with more help around him doesn't get targeted as much. So strong defense. A lot of offensive prospects. This is an exciting team to watch. I I know Sammy didn't necessarily agree with me. Sammy thinks that those players are basically interchangeable, but a lot of the other people that I talked to said they thought that this taking Leo Carlson ahead of Adam Fantilli was a massive, massive mistake, that Adam Fantilli would have been the first overall pick in every draft in the last 10 years if except for this one with Connor Bedard, except for 2016 with Austin Matthews and 2015 uh, with Connor McDavid. Um, I, I don't know that I disagree with that statement. What he did as a 17 year old in college is absolutely ridiculous. So I think that's a tough one. And I'm going to say this, Matt Bay, Mitch falling. Yeah. 
I thought it was a huge error by the Montreal Canadiens not to take this player. Now, it's interesting. I talked with the French contingent of the media, which you always know, Ken, is absolutely huge down here. Every market should cover their hockey team the way the Montreal Canadiens cover it. You've got, hey, down there, their Global News has a guy down there. Their CBC has a guy down there. Their CKY or CTV. Every local station has a guy down there in English and in French. And then all the national guys are down there as well. Every publication, every paper, a whole bunch of podcasts. Like the French media contingent that follows that team, I always think like the fact that Toronto does not follow the Leafs like that and yet is you know the biggest team in hockey is just crazy if every market covered and invested in the coverage of hockey the way that the Quebec Quebecois media does boy oh boy the coverage would be so extensive it, it would be amazing across the country that said I talked to a lot of them um, and they didn't seem high on Mitchkov. You keep hearing these rumors that, you know, like character may have been an issue. I'm just going to say this, Ken. The Montreal Canadiens are a team that has been devoid, and I've been having this argument. Maybe we can dig into it if you feel like doing it, but I think they've been devoid of that top shelf, unbelievable talent. And it goes way, way back almost to like the Guy Lafleur era. Like uh, if you're trying to think of guys that they got young and in their prime that grew up and were like just stupid skilled, you can talk about Some Alexei people say Kovalev. Kovalev, yeah. Kovalev, who was later in his years, right? And he did have a, a point per game season with them, but this was not the young Kovalev that was amazing. And his stops after that were in sure. Ottawa. Riche, what about and, Stefan Riche? I mean, so he Stefan had... Riche is the guy. Stefan Riche is the guy, but Stefan Riche puts up the amount of points that he does in a time where everyone's putting up points. We all know Stefan Riche was good, but Stefan Riche was not, you know, he, he was like a B tier star. Fair? Maybe Lots even of clappers. Love, love the clappers. Yeah. He was not a superstar. No, no doubt. There, there you go. And so this is what I'm saying. Stefan Riche, you know, a lot of our audience may not even know who Stefan Riche is because that's getting to be a long time ago. The point of this is, I don't think the Montreal Canadiens have been in position in a draft in in decades to take a guy who is as talented as this. All the scouts will say uh, Mitchkov's um, his skill level was unquestionable. He was actually fairly close to Connor Bedard, but you know there's geopolitical issues and the issues with him, you know, being involved in the KHL, and you won't get him for three years or something like that. I just say the Montreal Canadiens are a team that has been desperate for decades for that one superstar level player on offense. They've had it in goaltenders in the past, but superstar level offensive player. They had one fall to them in this draft and they passed it over. I think it was a massive mistake. And I think we're going to look down the road and they're going to regret it. Yeah, they might. I mean, also very interesting to see that seeing what Daniel Breer and guys were saying uh, about, about him, about saying he wanted, he wanted Philly. I mean, that seemed odd because everyone had him going to, going to Washington where they have uh, where they have the obvious Russian connection but uh, yeah no super interesting Uh, I'm also again Fantilli is more advanced today than Carlson but it's not a race to today right I think that's what Pat Verbeek is banking on and hey I'm with you I I think that Fantilli is the second best player in this draft right now Um, 
But Carlson is a guy who, you know, 20 pounds from now, who the heck knows? He's an incredible two-way player. And Pat Verbeek knows a few things about two-way players. And this is a young kid who uh, played center at the recent world championship too. So, I mean, uh, I think he's certainly, they're both very talented individuals. Um, my my only, I did a mock for the top 10 and the only two I got right were uh, Bedard, which was a gimme, and Fantilli third to Columbus. But I thought that was because uh, Mitchkoff would go second uh, to the Anaheim Ducks. So uh, that's why we leave it to the professionals like uh, Sam Cosentino and Jason Bukula. Um, you know, those guys are a lot more plugged in than we are. Certainly a lot of lot of interest. I mean, I, I know where you're coming from. Hab's got a lot of really good forwards. And yes, they have some D in the pipeline. But, uh, you know, if if Reinbacher becomes a version of Moritz Sider, uh, we'll be having a different conversation in three years, right? I mean, that's the, that's the beauty of this. I mean, we're all projecting and you know some guys are way ahead on the curve and some guys slow down some guys never make it and uh, you know look at it now i mean Line and Line and Dubois Line is on his second team Dubois is on his third and Puliarvi is uh, you know not going to be qualified so i mean that that's the top 4 uh, of a really good draft right. in 2016 and then number so 5 knows, is right, uh, right. Uh, Yo Levy Yo Levy or sorry 6 was nominated yes, for the heart yes exactly this year. yeah yeah. Um, what were your takeaways from the draft quickly before we get into the uh, the stuff that we're going to have to look at going forward with potential trades for the Jets? Sounds good. Uh, actually, Sammy says he'll uh, come on and give us a quick pop on the on the draft. He's, oh, I thought I had right sent now? one to him, but uh, yeah, right now. Okay. Uh, uh, well, my other so takeaways. Give me, give me yeah. your quick takeaways. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, can, are Blackhawks getting Oliver Moore and Bedard? I think is a massive uh, massive win for them. Um, I think it's funny, St. Louis, uh, you know, most people were betting, would be betting large sums that Doug Armstrong wasn't going to be making all three picks, and yet there he did, and uh, got three really good players. Um, I, I love the work, and it wasn't just at the draft. Cal Ritchie's a guy who went to the Colorado Avalanche, and one of those two uh, first-round selections that they had, um, but for me also, you know, I, I love the work that they've been doing and, you know, getting that extra first uh, for Alex Newhook, uh, you know, just absolutely dynamite work by Joe Sackick and uh, Chris McFarland. Uh, I love the, I don't think I've mentioned on this show, I love the Ryan Johansson uh, edition at half the price. Oh, really? I know that's not draft related, but, uh, you know, just this is the other part, Sean. I mean, McKinnon's 12.5. Their top two centers are going to be making around $16 million. I mean, that's a reasonable price when you look at it, uh, you know, where things are going with the salaries here. I mean, is he a guarantee to pop this year? Of course not. But, Sean, we remember when Ryan Johansson was traded for Seth Jones to the Nashville Predators. Remember the jolt that he got after things went sour uh, with John Tortorella and him coming into the Central Division. Uh, he was one of the real you know, drivers in those series where they were the President's Cup winners. And, um, you know, I know he was hurt in the final, didn't get to play in the final when they lost to Pittsburgh. But... I think a motivated Ryan Johansson. And if you put uh, that guy in a big body, I think he's more likely to play with Lekkonen and Nichushkin. But if you put him beside Miko Rantanen uh, for any length of time, I think you can get a really productive player at a really, uh, really cheap cost there. So, I mean, we'll see what happens. But uh, other than that, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, a surprise was Arizona. Uh, but there again, too, it's easy to say, you know, they made a mistake, but we'll see right i mean that's the other thing they had lots of picks to play with um but it didn't work out so 
Yeah. Well, Sammy was surprised by that as well. Let's bring him into the show here. Uh, my main man who I just finally, finally tracked him down to do a TV hit with him. I've been trying to get the, he's the most wanted guy other than Connor Bedard uh, at this draft. Everyone's all over oh. Sammy. Uh, and I guess Elliot Friedman. Oh man, be we got a full house here. here. Yes. If you can figure out how to properly orient his camera. <laughs> it's a walk uh, and talk. <laughs> just it's a walk quickly, and talk. Sam, I want you to give us, because I know people are going to want to jump in on this, the overall global, I know that you absolutely love the Jets' first-round pick in Colby Barlow. Um, so I'm going to get you to just give us a little bit of your take on that, but I want you to add to that the kind of global look at what the Jets did here in taking Zach Nehring, uh, Jacob Julian, Thomas Millich, and uh, Connor Levis. Yeah. Levis? Connor Levis, Levis? Yeah. yeah. Levis, um, okay. G- give us an idea of, of, of what you, we're looking at the Jets pulled off at this, uh, at this draft. You know, Julian, it's funny because uh, in in doing a little bit of work, uh, getting prepared for round one, I uh, actually ended up talking to Mark Hunter and just checking in on Easton Cowan. I had a bit of a sneaking suspicion that something might happen there, but also I just wanted to touch on Bonk and, you know, Denver Barkley had a few guys drafted there. And um, Jacob Julian was another one of those guys. And it's funny because he didn't really enter the conversation for me until we're about to hang up. And, And Mark said to me, well, you know what, Sammy, there's another guy, uh, Julian, you know, we, we really like what he's done. He's, he's a bit more of a project. He's probably a little bit further away. He's gone through it once, but, you know, we think there's something there. And so he just put put him on my radar. So I think when you get that kind of endorsement, I think that's 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 pretty special. Levis is a, is a guy who can blend between the power forward, middle six type of player who's got a little bit of scoring ability. I love the fact that, uh, you know, he's played some high leverage situations with the Kamloops Blazers uh, hosting the Memorial Cup. That's uh, of interest to me for sure. Um, and then we're looking at uh, Thomas Millich. So, uh, you know, Comrie has been a part of the organization at various times for Winnipeg. I don't think he's a whole lot different than Comrie. Uh, but the winning pedigree behind Thomas Millich is pretty special. He gets picked 10, 10 or so picks behind his, uh, his goalie tandem mate in Scott Ratzlaff. Uh, but with... Under 17s, under 18s, under 20s. He's operating at around an, anywhere between a 920 and a 932 save percentage. So at some point, the idea is to stop pucks. At this level, he stopped pucks. Why not give him an opportunity where you can kind of control his destiny a little bit to stop pucks at the next level? So good on them for taking a run. The, the guy I really want to focus on is Barlow, though. I I have all the time in the world for this young man. Um. 76 goals the last two years, don't sound a 17-year-old captain. That's the, the youngest in history. Um, but a guy who's had to had to work and earn everything that he has. So I think back to when he was playing in minor hockey, Tristan Bertucci was drafted uh, today. Um, his family put him up because Colby was about two hours uh, north of Toronto. And his dad at the first part of this thing was commuting back and forth. Uh, going back to Beaverton is managing a grocery store and you know, it was really tough on the family because they're siblings. And of course, you got to get back to your job and all that. Uh, the Bertucci's took them in. Those two became fast friends in their minor hockey days. Now they see their paths uh, converge again here at the NHL draft. But to think Colby did what he did uh, is, is pretty special. And one thing you're not going to get cheated on with this guy is character and work ethic. So looking forward to seeing where he can take it. Sammy, people keep jumping in, uh, and I, I, I want to go to Elliot, but his phone keeps cutting out, so I'm not. Elliot, give me a thumbs up if we can come to you, if we can trust this signal of yours right now. 
I, I, th- I think we could try. We're going to try bringing him into the show just because I don't know how long we'll have him for. And we're just, we are so appreciative of your guys' time. Elliot, there we go. Uh, can you hear yeah. us? Is this is yeah, this working? Everything's fine. Just, I'm, I'm walking somewhere and I don't know where it is, so I'm looking at the map. So that's what it is. <laughs> that's what it is. Okay. Well, we're going to bounce around because uh, this is the way that we got to do this um, while we've got you guys because I know we can only have you for so long. Um, I, I, we, if, if you have time, we'll go back and we'll do this reverse. And we'll get into what the Jets did with moving PLD and how they were able to do that. But what are you hearing going forward? Because I think everyone now that this has happened, the thoughts are shifting away from the draft towards free agency, which is never that big of a deal for the Jets. But people want to know what's going to happen here coming up with Hellebuck and what's going to happen with Shifley. And I guess if you want to throw it into it, Wheeler as well. Well, I think Wheeler, we're expecting something tomorrow, whether it's a trade or whether it's a buyout. Um, I think, you know, tomorrow's the deadline. Now, Wheeler doesn't have to be put on waivers because he's got a no-move clause. He's got a partial no-trade, but he's got a no-move. So you don't have to put him on waivers. You just say... We're buying you out. So I would assume that's going to happen uh, tomorrow at the latest. Um, you know, Hellebuck, I just heard it was really quiet around Hellebuck right now. I mean, famous last words. I'll say this, they'll get traded in 30 seconds. <laughs> but I, I, I heard it was really quiet around Hellebuck. And uh, Shifley, I don't know. Like, I'm, uh, I don't know. I, 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 I get mixed signals on that one. I'm not sure what to make of it. Curious about, uh, do you think the Jets could be active on the goalie market, Elliot, considering uh, they're waiting on Hellebuck? Or do they have to be active and maybe go after someone like Corpus or would they wait and see what happens with uh, Boston and see if they might offer Swayman or Allmark in a, in a potential Shifley deal? I mean, I, I guess, like, the, the thing is, like, there's a lot of goalies out there right now. Like, I have to tell you, like, someone proposed to me today the theory that Hellebuck starts in Winnipeg next year. Again, I I don't know that that's going to happen. It might not. But there's a lot of goalies out there. Now, you know, I will say this, that I think some teams were kind of spooked about some of the reports about what Hellebuck's looking at in extension. Um, like, someone said to me that, Look, if Connor Hellebach gets traded to a place he wants to go, he's gonna he's gonna work at it. Like he'll he'll make it work. So I think that's I think things got kind of ground to a halt because there was this belief out there that what he's looking for might be too high for some teams. And I think that right now, I think that what this was about is I think everybody just wanted to take a deep breath and kind of figure out what that meant. And I just think, look, I think if a team wants Connor Hellebuck, they're going to find out how to work out an extension. Josh Clipperton, he's been down here and he's been working on a story that's been interesting because I've been having conversations with him about it. But just the effect that, you know, the salary cap going down uh, or not going down, but not really moving the way it has over the last couple of years of COVID, all those different kind of things, how they've really taken the big events like free agency and the trade deadline and really put a damper on it because everything is so hard to work financially. What would... Would these kind of deals with a guy like Mark Shifley and Connor Helbuck, would they have been so much easier if the cap would have just continued on the way it is? I mean, is the money part of all of this really what's been holding deals like this up that seemed like they would have been so easy to make years ago and suddenly are so hard to make? Well, there's no question that 
like, like it's, I think it was George McPhee who said it today, salaries have gone up, which is fine, but the cap hasn't. And so, like, it's a tightrope. Um, like, I'm really curious tomorrow. People are telling me we're going to see some surprising names not get qualified. That there's going to be uh, some, some, you're going to see some names out there where people say they're not qualified and you're like, holy smokes, that player is a free agent. And uh, I think we could see that. I think that's very true. I think the cap's really tight. The best players are getting paid a lot, which they deserve. And so you have to be really diligent. And, you know, the thing about Hellebuck is, like, I think talent wins out. If someone decides that Connor Hellebuck is what they need, they're going to make that deal. I just think it's – there's a lot of goalies out there right now. And there's this big debate now about how much do you need to really pay your goalie. And I think that's part of this whole conversation. Just one quick one, Elliot. Uh, with New Jersey being one of the teams that's been linked to Hellebuck and Tom Fitzgerald getting a lot of great work done, including the Timo Meyer deal, do you think now they could maybe potentially turn their – much like the Jets with having to get PLD out of the way, now that New Jersey has Meyer locked up long-term, might they turn their attention to Hellebuck if he is really a goalie of interest for them? Uh, put it this way. I think the Devils have inquired on Hellebuck. But, like, if you look at what the Devils are doing now, look at the contracts they've just signed. You know, everybody's around the 8 million range, 8 to 9 yeah. max. Um, like I said, I think if Hellebuck wants to play there, they'll find a way to get it done. But New Jersey tends to try to pay for your best years. They're an analytic-heavy team. So I think that's all part of it, too. Like, I do think... They've, they've inquired. I do think they're interested. But if it's really eight times nine and a half. Oh. May have lost him here. Uh, hopefully that. Oh, I think I think we got it. That that car that car honked and we thought that was it for you. Uh, oh, and it is. And he's gone. <laughs> I, hey, I want to say I want to I want to thank Elliot for finding the time, and I want to thank him for finding the time and making it work the way he made it work. And especially, I want to thank him for trimming the nose hairs before he came on with that shot that uh, we had to go through. Sammy, let's get back to this. I was talking about this earlier on. I personally, and I don't put my acumen anywhere near yours when it comes to this kind of stuff. In fact, if if the Jets ever make a deal and someone ask me about a prospect I say I don't know I don't watch them but I'm gonna ask Sammy and I'll tell you what Sammy has to say about it but I was still really surprised I know you weren't that Leo Carlson went before uh Adam Fantilli I know that you uh I think see them fairly close together but I've talked to a lot of other people who don't I've talked to a lot of people who thought that that Carlson pick for for Anaheim was a mistake um what what I see in Fantilli is a guy who's kind of in the Jack Eichel stratosphere. And I was kind of going on a rant here before that, like you take away those lost years in Buffalo where that team couldn't figure it out and kind of affected Eichel. I think we're seeing now what he is and what he could have been for a long time. It's a special player. So if Adam Fantilli is anywhere in that kind of stratosphere, it's a tough player to be better than. Why is that not a mistake for the Anaheim Ducks? Because I think Anaheim looks at the just the frame of Carlson and knowing the timeline he has playing in the SHL that, that they feel that there's probably a higher ceiling. So that Fantilli is a little closer to his ceiling and it doesn't mean that they don't have the same ceiling, but maybe they project that there's a higher one for, for Carlson. 
And I can understand that totally. Um, but for me, Fantilli brings just a little bit more of a dynamic uh, element to his game. And I like that in today's NHL, whereas Leo's just a little bit more cerebral, a little bit more calm, a little bit more poised. Um, but I had those two in a tier by themselves after Bedard. So I wasn't completely taken aback. And to be honest with you, a lot of the rumblings were, you know, the you know, the hours before the draft that Carlson was going to be the guy to go at number two. So I, I, I don't have a huge, uh, a huge uh, opinion on it either way, other than the fact that I, I sort of looked at Fantilli as, as Getzlap 2.0, and I thought, well, with Getzlap just being hired, mm-hmm. he'd be the perfect mentorship. But that's not to say that Leo Carlson can't be that either. I mean, you know, he's, uh, he's played in the men's league all year long. He's had a lot of success playoffs goes and centers the number one uh, line at the world's like he his resume is really good sammy as a guy who's covered the league for a long time uh, you know the program in london right i mean is this and you talked about oliver blanc and he's a guy that you had in your mock to winnipeg i mean is this is this a scenario like i've sort of pitched this theory that the jets are out there wa- watching bonk and all of a sudden you keep looking down and you're like who's that number 48 here this jacob julian is he a guy that kind of just popped onto their radar almost not by accident but uh just with the way that it did with him starting at the tier two level and then going to tier one that guy that just kind of took on more and more as the season went on and mark hunter kept giving or uh, sorry dale kept giving him more and more responsibility I think with with London, they, they they have a very defined way in which they want their prospects to grow, and you know, going the junior B route. If there's a team that's close enough to London, those kids can still practice with the Knights. So, you know, you're not getting that game experience, and nothing replaces that. But in the event that you are called up or that you transition now to to major junior. There's no surprises. You know what the system is all about. You have some chemistry with the players from having practice with them. So in that case for Julian, it was the same path that Easton Cowan took that essentially made him a first-rounder, same path that Bonk took that essentially made him a first-rounder, and now the path with Julian on his way to, to Winnipeg to see, you know, as a fifth-round pick if they can if they can make that happen. So I, I do I do like the, you know, it's, it's a low-risk play for me at that point in the draft. And um, it goes back to a program where if you start to do things the right way, you get rewarded with more ice time. And if you continue to succeed uh, with additional ice time, then you start to get some some power play, some special teams time. So that's the way they've always done it. Um, you know, the, the use of usage of the Junior B program is a is a little bit more of a, a newer twist for the London Knights. Uh, but there's no denying what their program has been able to churn out over the years. Um. I, I wanted to talk about Matvey Mitchkov. Um, I don't know where you fell on uh, on the idea of his skill. I know I kept hearing things that like he was actually closer to Bedard than people would have thought. Um, you know, second highest skilled player in this draft. I kept hearing this kind of stuff over and over again. Again, I, I always just put my faith in what the people are saying. I keep hearing those things. It seemed to me that when he started to fall, and maybe he didn't really fall. I think there was an expectation. I saw a lot of lists that had him going to Washington. I had thought that this was an opportunity for the Montreal Canadiens to get that super high-end skilled pick that they have not been able to latch onto in that organization for decades. We are, Ken and I were talking about this before. Like maybe you got to go back to Stefan Riche to find a guy that they brought out who ended up being like a super sniper. Um, why? I, I mean, the, the, it's probably going to be the same answer for a number of teams of why they didn't take a waiver on him. But why, when you're a team like the Canadians, who's building a nice little 
uh, a core that you have here. They fit the window of younger players. They're coming towards something, and you kind of get the idea that a superstar skilled player could really fast forward that process. How is it that a team like the Canadians um, were able to pass that up? And do you think it's a mistake that they did? Uh, I. I don't think it's a mistake. I think there's too much risk in the pick, and I still believe there is. I mean, just because they selected him, there's, it's not a guarantee that he comes over even after the contract or, or the war or, or you know, that the million things that are happening in the world right now. So, for me, it's just too much risk. And picking number five in a deep draft, I want a player that I'm really confident with. You know, they addressed an area that, you know, by all uh, accounts. They don't really need right now because, hey, they dressed a lot of nights uh, with five rookie defensemen last year. So, But down the road, if you see this guy being the next Caden Gooley for you, that's a pretty darn good uh, proposition. And to take what the projections are for a Caden Gooley as opposed to a guy we might see in three or four years, I'll take Caden Gooley all day long. And I think that's the, you know, some of the thought process behind it. Also, too, what do you, what do you make of uh, what was said on site here uh, once he showed up and started giving interviews on site? I mean, obviously, now hearing him talk about uh, talk about wanting to be a flyer, it kind of seems out of like isn't it? Kind of seem out of nowhere for a guy who is ranked to be a top three player to to want to only go to one place, and it was Philadelphia. Or what'd you make of that? Yeah, and you know, and, and maybe it, I think it was reciprocal love. So okay. You know, by by all accounts, it was Philadelphia who had him into Philadelphia in a small group setting. I think uh, Daniel Breer talked a little bit about that on the show today before they actually met with him again here in Nashville. And I think by Philadelphia reaching out and showing their love for him, Mitchkov appreciated that and showed his love back saying, wow, these guys have kind of gone the extra mile for me. Um, This is a place that I want to go. I'm looking at the people. I'm looking at the changes in the organization, and this is something that I uh, that I want to embrace. So I think that's how it, how it's worked out there. Makes sense. Uh, um, you and I were talking. I'm going to get into some of the stuff that we talked about on camera because I thought it was interesting. But um, Connor Bedard, we had this quick conversation. But this is a guy everyone knew was going to go first overall. He's known this for a really long time. Um, that some people would look and say, well, this got easy for this guy, right? He was coming into this draft. Everyone knew he was going to be taken. There's no stress involved with this. This is easy easy way to handle that situation. I don't agree. I think that, you know, when you come walking in with that spotlight that much hotter on you, you know, and people watching how you handle yourself um, can be not as easy as, as it would appear. How did you think Connor Bedard handled himself through this situation? Yeah. I, probably the best of any of the first overall guys that I've seen. I think the other guys are just, they're just a lot more guarded. Um, you know, Slavkovsky was a little bit more, more open, but there was kind of no guarantee that he'd be the guy. Uh, I think about Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid, they were just more reserved. It doesn't mean that they weren't bad, that they were bad characters uh, or anything, but I just felt like for Connor, he was a guy who seemed to really embrace it, where it wasn't a grind for him, where he was just so thankful and humble to have the opportunities afforded to him by being the projected number one guy. Whereas the other guys, maybe they felt like, you know, it was, it was preordained that was going to happen and they didn't want to misstep at all. And they were just, you know, just a little bit more guarded, but man, I, I, I probably talked to him on three or four different occasions in, in interviews throughout the year. And I just thought, wow, this is really cool that this guy is that much of a star and he is taking time for everybody. He's doing it with a smile on his face. He's, uh, you know, 
uh, accepting and uh, every requested interview as far as I know. Now, some of that obviously was managed a little bit, but you're going into sold-out barns all the time. The local media wants to know about you in the Western League. I, I, I think you handled it like a pro, and that's you know that was really impressive for me because there was a lot. Kid came through the pandemic. Um, you know, there was the Mitchkoff talk. Hey, maybe he's going to be the number one guy. But still, he, he handled it the same way. Whatever was thrown at him, he just handled it the same way. And that's probably been the best that I've seen of any first overall that I've been dealing with. Sorry, just cut out briefly there. Sammy, just a quick one, uh, shifting gears. Because you have experience covering these guys, we've talked all week about the Pierre-Luc Dubois deal. Uh, curious for your insight on Gabe Velarde and Rasmus Kapari in particular, guys I know you've watched uh, at various levels over the years as well. So for me, um, Velarde I love. I've loved him since 2019, uh, the Memorial Cup, the Windsor team. Good score in tight. Obviously went through a lot of health issues since that time. The, the 23 goals or whatever it was last year. Um, speaks to me of a guy who's just kind of getting started. So you're you're betting on his rise. Um, and then when it comes to IFL, he's super serviceable, serviceable type of guy. Plays with passion and energy. And, you know, I, I love that. And does it relatively cost effectively? Um, I'd say the same thing about Kapari. Listen, he was a first-round pick, expected to produce more. It hasn't worked out that way. He's going to play a bottom six role. He can PK for you. He's got a bit of length. He's got some speed to him. Um, so he can still be a, a, a valuable and important member of your team. It's funny because it, it, if you think about the Winnipeg Jets the last couple of years in their bottom six, especially this year in the playoffs, yeah, there were some ads, the Mastikoff and Niederreiter, but I think the, you know, the Tony Nottles and the, and the Jansen Harkins, like there was a lot of similar guys that were like that. These two guys, IFL is probably more a middle six, but Kupari uh, on a back six, I think they just offer more value, uh, more steadiness, and probably the ability to produce more than a lot of other guys who have played in that role. And then, of course, you get the draft pick in there too. So I, th- I thought that was an amazing trade for essentially uh, for a, de- a dead asset. I think you're in really good position to kind of gauge how NHL teams, uh, scouting departments handle things, right? Because you're kind of in the same business as them. And so I think you probably take a look and think, and there are certain scouting staffs that you probably think they've got it together. They see what I see. Sometimes they may see stuff that you don't. Sometimes other, uh, other scouting staffs may not see stuff that you do. One of the things I found really interesting about um, Kevin Cheveldayoff talking about Rasmus Kapari was that, in his draft year, they were really high on him. They didn't get on him. And one thing that, you know, Ken will know this because Ken was one of the first guys who really talked about this, but a guy like Brendan Dillon, the Jets got high on him on some point and then they didn't get him. But years later, they came back to him. What I take from that is the Jets scouting staff finds guys they like and they just don't give up on that, which, which tells me that they really trust themselves and their take. Uh, what what does it tell you about their scouting staff that you know when a, a player goes they don't look at it and say man we may have dodged a bullet there because that guy didn't become what we thought they became they usually say no you know what we still think there's something there let's go see if we can get it out of them. Well, when, if you're a scout and you get fired, you lose access to all of your reports. The that's the club's proprietary material, and they keep it and they keep it for good reason because if I draft someone now and that player doesn't end up playing for me. But I end up going to an, another job, let's say, I can I remember that guy, you know, and, and, and you think about how you reported on that guy. So the, the idea is you you build this book on a number of players 
not just for the draft year that's there, but you've started to build a book for maybe a guy who's uh, a year away, or you've built a draft book on a guy who's in the here and now who might be two years removed from going through his first year of draft eligibility, or you've built a book on a guy that five years ago, you can look back and say, remind me what I liked about this guy. Yeah. He could score. He could speed right shot guy into this. And so by, by maintaining all of those uh, scouting reports, you have the opportunity to readdress them in trades down the road. And a lot of times guys, like the player you see five years earlier, isn't a whole lot different um, than, than the guy he is now. Does it change? Sam Bennett, a little bit of a different player than he was in Kingston, but he had pims, he had goal scoring ability. He could play with skilled guys. Those basic premises for Sam Bennett remained through him going to Calgary and then eventually on to, on to Florida. And now, now we're seeing it as a pretty effective playoff type player. So I think the scouting reports would say that I'll say this about the Edmonton trade today, Clem Costin and, and Kyler Yamamoto, the book that those, that the, the team that traded for him would have on him would have existed back to their draft years, especially with Costin. You know, he's kind of been an underrated guy and I think he's going to be a big asset here moving forward. So um, you always keep your, your draft book. You always keep your reports because you never know when you're going to have to consult. Sometimes they change. For the most part, though, players stay pretty much the same. Mm. Yeah, and Costin's also one of those guys that, I mean, Sean, you, I think you remember too. I think it was, he came into Winnipeg early on before he got sent back down. And I think it might have even been a preseason game. You like bull in a china shop, really physical, heavy yeah. shot, got to the got to the crease, really noticeable guy. So uh, curious, I'm just, we know that uh, the Jets still could make a move on Mark Shifley, but um, between Velarde, Kapari, and Cole Perfetti, all guys you've watched can two of those three guys become centermen or are they better better suited to play on the wall? I know all three have played center at various yeah. points, but at the NHL level, do you can you see two could the Jets top two centers at some point include those two or even their top three centers uh have them slotted one, two, three at some point, maybe down the road? Or does one of them or two of them need to play on the wall? I think Velarde can play center. I think um I think after him, Perfetti, I don't know if I want, I want him on center for the puck touches, but I want a little bit more size there. So I don't know. I think that, that that's to be determined. I'd say Velarde would be the one lock for me, okay. who, who I think could play center. And so if you're trying to build down that middle of the ice and you're thinking about moving uh, moving away from Shifley, you know, what, what are you thinking about in terms of a replacement? In terms of Kapari, he could probably do the job too. I think I think he'd have the opportunity to do the job. So, but I'm saying I'm leaning more towards Velarde as a, you know, as a higher percentage guy to to be able to do that. This is the last one for me, Sammy. Um, I know that the scouts will always tell us, "Oh, we pick the best guy available," all that kind of stuff. I feel like the Jets' draft record is changing over the years, and that the kind of player they are prioritizing is changing. You know, and and my my example of that will be like. Colby Barlow and Rutger McGrory are very different, but sorry, similar players to each other, um, but very different from what you used to see the Jets targeting in the first round, which was the Nick Ehlers, uh, Jack Rozovic types, players like that. Um, they're still doing that because they, they went and got Brad Lambert, who's kind of in that vein. But yeah. do you see the Winnipeg Jets draft philosophy changing or evolving or whatever you want to call it over the years? Well, I, I think it has to move a little bit, you know, to be honest with you, a little bit more Canadian. Um, 
you know, which is exactly what happened in this draft, yeah. right? Four of yeah. five, yeah. Millich, Levis, Barlow, yeah, Julian. So for me, I think that's going to be an essential piece moving forward. It's not going to be the only element, but it's going to be an essential piece moving forward because I think Canadians have a they just have an appreciation of what a Canadian market has to offer and how important it is where, you know, you're coming from Europe, you're coming from, from the United States and you're thinking, wow, that's kind of a small crummy uh, wintry town in, in Manitoba. I don't even know where Manitoba is. So I, I think when, when you're drafting Canadian players and, and I'd like to see them lean, uh, lean a little bit more Western hockey league, to be honest with you, where people would have some sort of affinity for the city. Um, but, I, but I do believe it is uh it is starting to change a little bit, and I think it has to evolve. It, it really has to. And this one quick one for me before we roll. I mean, obviously, we mentioned New Jersey with Elliot, Sammy, and I know that uh, Nemec is probably a non-starter or in your eyes. I also know you've loved Dawson Mercer uh, since dating back to his draft year, but given the salary structure with the forwards they've signed, could he potentially be on the table now as a guy who – Maybe can't they? Maybe they can't afford him at eight plus uh, down the road. And, and what do you like specifically about him? And then secondarily, Mike M- Michael McLeod would be another guy naturally that the Jets would probably be looking at in a deal like that. Uh, just your thoughts on those two players before we let you roll. So Mikey McLeod, super speed, can play the game at pace. He can play in your bottom six as he's shown so far as a first round pick. I'd probably want more offense uh, from from him. So he'd be a real interesting guy for me. Dawson Mercer's a home run all day, every day, personality, character, playing, pace, score goals, home run every day. And, and you know, people from the Maritimes, man, he's a, he's a Newfoundlander. So I, I don't think he'd have any issue with the, the long-term proposition of playing in Winnipeg. I It's going to be tough to get him out of there. It's going to be really tough to get him out of there. I think they'd move heaven and earth to try and keep him because he's that type of person. I know the guys in the room absolutely love him. Uh, and that's not even to speak of what's been uh, enormous production for a guy who surprised everyone by jumping in the league at 18. Sammy, it should be tough for us to get you onto this show because you're absolutely the best and your time is in demand, and yet you keep saying yes to us over and over again, something we are just so, so thankful for, and we know that our audiences, they absolutely love you. If you started up the uh, the Sammy and whoever show, I could see our audience flocking there. So please don't do that, uh, but please keep coming on our show. Love to see you, buddy. Can't wait to see you later on tonight. Great to see you. Great to see you, boys. The next time, I mean, the weather is not conducive for the scarf, but we'll bring it back. <laughs> right on. Thanks, my man. Excellent work the last uh, couple of great couple job, days and all year long, man. Crushed Thank it, as always. Guy. Outside of Bedard, star of the draft. Thanks for coming on, yeah, Sam. Real pleasure. Thanks. See you, guys. See you, bud. Um, Ken, any thoughts you want to wrap us up on? No, I just uh, well said all around. Uh, awesome that uh, this is... Uh, we say this often uh, in terms of the gratitude, but uh, just want to reiterate here in the week that we're having, uh, just the gratitude we have for the colleagues that we work with at Sportsnet. Sean, I know that uh, you know you're you're with them on site, but uh, the people that we work with are just such quality individuals that. Um, squeeze out time for us and our audience and for our sponsors and all those things. I just think it's awesome that we're able to to provide those types of insights from people like uh, Sam Cosentino, Jason Bukla, Elliot Friedman, and, and everyone else who joins us over the course of the year and during the off season here. Uh, just, uh, just awesome stuff. 
Well, you know what, Ken, we should go back and we should talk about one of the original kind of mission statements we had for, for ourselves was not only to, you know, give a space for Jets fans to come and have conversations with us, you know, give access for ourselves to that audience. But one of the things that we wanted to do was, I, I mean, we looked at this. I've been working for Sportsnet in Winnipeg since 2014. I know you're a little bit more recent, but... I didn't think that Sportsnet had a very good relationship with the city of Winnipeg and the hockey fans of the Winnipeg Jets. And one of the things that we've tried to do on this show was say, because, you know, the, the the thing that people always looked at was like, you know, the people in Toronto. And I think people, you know, they, they would say this about people at TSN as well. The people in Toronto don't care about what's happening in Winnipeg. And you and I know from our experiences behind the scenes and talking to guys like Elliot, talking to guys like David Amber, talking to Sammy, that these guys really are invested in Winnipeg. They like it. And it just didn't seem like there was maybe the platform to really dig into the Winnipeg Jets. So one of the things that we really wanted to do on this show was kind of give our fellow colleagues at Sportsnet a place where they could come and hang out and talk Jets too, because they do. They do like talking about it behind the scenes. I think you're right. I'm so proud of the the people that we work with. I'm proud every time that we bring them on. Like, you know, when Elliot comes on, when Sam comes on, when Jay came on yesterday, like you could see some of our audience had not known a lot about Jay. And by the time they're done listening to him, they're just smitten with the guy as they should be, because these are like great people who really do care about hockey, but they care about the Jets audience and they care about talking about the Jets. And so, yeah, I think you bring up a really good point. Uh, I am proud as hell to represent Sportsnet in this market. And I'm really happy that we are finding a conduit to get those people in and be able to have these conversations and show off what they do, show off what they know about the Jets and show off how invested they are in the Jets. And that's why we're ever so thankful when we have shows like this. And yes, Yesterday, where Jay Jay comes on and uh, Elliot comes on and Sammy comes on, uh, we hope that you enjoyed it as an audience. We hope you enjoy that access uh, because we really appreciate the time that those people give to us. We hope you do as well. Uh, yeah, and we're gonna. Thing? I think just this is their third show of the week, but I think uh, you're traveling Friday, so we're gonna have a show probably on July. I know it's a long weekend, but we're probably gonna do a show July first that people can get to at some point during the long weekend, and, uh, and then we'll see and where we go from there. But there's gonna be news just, happening. I think we need to commit to when the big moves happen to to make it oh, sure yeah. that we have pop up shows when that happens, so you can expect that. So as it always is in Kenny and Rennie, we're gonna make it hard <laughs> for you to know when we're popping up, but when we do, we'd love to. Hey, I created the show early today. People would have got you their did. notifications a little more than five minutes notice, like uh, like, did they did on, like they did yeah. on Wednesday. So uh, no we appreciate doubt. everybody checking it out. It's just been awesome to be able to have this platform. And uh, thanks for tuning in. And we'll uh, we'll definitely get uh, keep her going here. Well, I had said um, I appreciate the the time of the likes of Jay and Elliot and Sam, but we really do appreciate all your time. The people, a whole bunch of people in the chat room, and we see how much everyone's been watching the show afterwards. We are so appreciative of, of it that you find the time to come and have a listen with us and spend some time and contribute your comments. We love that. I'm going to end this show uh, in gushing adoration of all of you, but also wanted to give a shout out to our sponsors. If you appreciate the conversations happening in these spaces, please, please appreciate the contributions uh, by our sponsors who fight to keep these conversations going in these spaces. For us, that's the Keg, Pristine Roofing, the Johnston Group, the Kenny and Rennie OGs, Sweet Lou Ferlin, Homefield, Trans Canada Brewing Company, and Vittorio Rossi, uh, who, hey, 
They slayed it this weekend as well. <laughs> I got to say, they absolutely did it. Thank you to all of them. And most of all, thank you to all of you. We appreciate your time. We're back to chat with you after free agency. Uh, and like I said, we will be back. Maybe, you know, if we need to find a way to do it beforehand, if a big trade happens or something like that, or like Elliot said, you know, a buyout of Blake Wheeler, that's worth a show right there as well. So we'll try and find a way to make sure that this all happens. We'd love to see you there. Thank you, everybody. We will see you when we see you. Have a good one. Uh, safe travels. The Kenny and Rennie Show is brought to you by Homefield. Cambrian Credit Union. Lou Ferlin. Trans-Canada Brewing. Vittorio Rossi. And Johnston Group. 